That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome, one and all, to episode 15 of Hit Point Pals, where this week we'll be taking a look at identity in video games, how character customization gives players a proxy to represent themselves, and one particular example with the Elder Scrolls series, where a lot of groups go unrepresented. We'll also take a look at some news from this week. Ubisoft has announced the next entry in the Ghost Recon series, and a handful of games were revealed or re-revealed in this week's State of Play. But first, I'm your host, Will Suit. And with me today is Rebecca Markley. Hi. That was Hell really yeah. bad. <laughs> okay. Nah, it's all good. And our producer, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Travis Lean. Welcome. It's great to be here. Hell yeah. It's great to have you producing, good sir. But first, why don't we why don't we dive in on uh, something a little a little light and fun? What games have we been playing? Yeah. Uh, no, I have not really. Okay, so I feel like I've been playing a lot of games, but I don't really have a good game this week to talk about. Um, <laughs> You've just been bouncing around. I have been bouncing around. There's several games that. Okay, so I've been actually today. I just wrapped up Spider Man, which I have already finished, but due to <laughs> due to a clerical error with Amazon, I <laughs> had to swap my copy out. Um, due to region locking and them sending oh, no. me the wrong... Re anyway, uh, it was fun to play through it again. Uh, started the DLC, and then I've still been going through Assassin's Creed Origins. I even played a little bit of Crusader Kings. And the three of us played some RimWorld. Uh, Hell yeah. Will and yes. I had a, had an, a, had an arduous time with, with our first colony. Um, <laughs> do, Will, do you want to set up that colony a little bit? Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I set up, I mean, you know, we had three, uh, colonists and we, you know, we built a little base and kept expanding it and growing and we built out over some shallow water and you could only, you know, build supports with wood, at least as far as I know. So we had a pretty much a, a full, nice wooden base and we had lots, we had like eight people there and it was great. And then one day a cable short circuited and there was a fire. So everybody woke up and went to go get breakfast. While the fire spread, and by the time they tried to put it out, <laughs> the indoor temperature was like a thousand seven hundred degrees Celsius. So anyone who tried to fight the fire cooked on the inside and died. I mean, which is funny because like one of the one of the only like big and fleshed out features in this game, I think, is the work order, which is it's very insistent on putting firefighting first. Like that's priority one by default, and we yeah. didn't take it off priority one, as far as I know. Yeah, and everyone like woke up and was like, "Oh no, I gotta get, I gotta get a simple meal." But I, I mean, it was a learning experience because we we had yeah. built our whole base out of wood, uh, for the reasoning that it is the cheapest material, and we didn't really know any better. Yeah, and then when we started up a a big colony with Rebecca, we made our base out of steel, and then cut a hole in a room and promptly died. But you know, it's a learning experience. Yes, yeah, so we should cut a hole in the ancient wall, I said, because I figured, like, honestly, well, it kind of worked out the way I, I, I didn't want us to die, but I thought, like, if there's an ancient wall here, and, like, we want to interact with it at some point, I figured better now than, like, we establish a, an awesome Moroccan colony, and then the ancient wall kills us. 
I didn't really think the ancient wall would like kill kill us, but it super kill killed us. So we started yeah, it. Really a, a learning experience. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I aside from the couple games of RimWorld that we've played, and I thought RimWorld was really fun. This is the first time I had played RimWorld. It's the first time Rebecca had played RimWorld as well this week. Yeah, I downloaded it because you made it sound so much fun, Will. <laughs> Hooray! I need to email them and ask for some money. <laughs> Will I, I some commission? Yeah, exactly. How? I don't remember. You probably said last week. How long had you been playing RimWorld, and like, how has it changed over the years? Or years? Uh, Is years even right? I I think so. But I picked it up near the very end of early access. So as far as I can tell, I haven't seen much change. But that's also because I haven't interacted a lot with like late game and even a lot of like mid game stuff because I enjoy like the setting up of the colonies like the most. It's uh, it's it feels pretty familiar to me. Like it's cool to be in a sci-fi setting, but it's also kind of like this feels like a this feels like some things I've seen before, like banished. Uh, it feels like banished setting up your base. It feels like prison architect in some aspects, mostly visually. Yeah. But then it has some really unique features like the planet and how it randomly will generate a planet for you. And the map is always cool to look at, I think. Um, and the fact that you can send people on expeditions across this randomly generated planet, I think, is really neat. Although we haven't really had any success with that. but <laughs> No, but we will. We will. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been playing, I guess. Hell yeah. What about you, Rebecca? Um... Yeah, I've been playing a lot of RimWorld. Actually, not that much. Nice. Just just like a couple of like, a couple of hours. Um, but then yes, so um, I was playing more Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I ran for like I, I have two groups that I run for regularly, and then this is the second group that um, started a little bit more recently with like all entirely new new players. So we're having a really hard time remembering. How to do combat and sometimes that can get a little frustrating but it's fine they they've only played like three times so like i don't really blame them it's just a lot when there are five of them that don't know what they're doing um but this is a campaign setting that like cam and i are working on creating it's sort of like set in what's definitely not the caribbean and um called the malachite <laughs> islands <laughs> and uh, sort of like based on like colonial powers but there's no slavery because fuck that and um, just sort of like large mercantile powers kind of like vying for control over these like um, resource rich islands, except they have to like contend with the indigenous population that's really powerful too. Um, so the the party just kind of like got on a ship and they're they're uh, they were hired as like a security detail to go to, the sort of like big island where like most of the indigenous population lives called Chilwe. And um, they fought some harpies. That was cool. Um, got some really great role playing. Um, th this, this party is, they're much more like fun. So they have really like stupid names like Magenda Wackus. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, that sounds like a Hogwarts yes. student. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And a sparkle <laughs> gem. I don't know. It's just really fun. It's really goofy. Are there pirates? So, yeah, there'll be pirates. Oh, there will be pirates. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cam wants the pirates, to, or like wants some of the pirates to be like orcs that he kind of like based off of like 40k. 
So they're all like really ridiculous and like fun. Wait, so the ships are these like traditional like Age of Pirates? Uh, yeah. Ships, or are they like ironclad war vessels like <laughs> in the 40k universe? A little bit of both. Um so like one of the the one of the I guess mercantile powers is sort of like run by like mostly dwarves and like gnomes and so they're like pretty technical technologically advanced so there are going to be these like ships that are going to be like outfitted like ironclad and it's just not going to really make much sense because you know there's like fucking druids and they can just tip the whole ship over but you know that's kind of just sort of like fun dynamics and like ways to think creatively about getting out of fucking ironclad battle but um i'm really excited for the new D release that's supposed to be coming out later this month i'm not quite sure what the date is but um the ghosts of salt marsh is the adventure and it's supposed to have um sort of like new rules about sort of like D D on the ocean and sort of like D D type ships like they tease like this one like elven ship that's like pulled by dolphins which i think is really cool and it'll be really fun to like see how the mechanics work for that and i can't wait to like incorporate these more like fantastical sort of ships into the into the setting definitely keep everyone updated as that continues on so i i guess i run dnd at my this co-working space that i am a part of and there's like a couple of other people that play or like they're going through like the enigma box which I'm not quite exactly sure what it is, but it's sort of like an AR sort of like puzzle game. And you get like, it comes in a box and there's all these like maps and like rulers and like booklets and there's like a candle and there's paint. And you have to like go through all of these sort of like puzzles. And um, it's sort of magical, I think. I wasn't really clear on the story. They didn't really tell me what the story was um they were just like we just like the puzzles and so um they we on on wednesday we had to go through and find figure out like the coordinates to the next spot that they're supposed to go research and like excavate for like i don't know like magical runes and things like that they were in greece i'm not sure where in greece but we had a really hard time with one of the puzzles because we couldn't do math. I don't know. There was like a key with like some letters in there and like we had to like move all the clocks like 20 minutes forward. But we apparently couldn't do 20 minutes forward on clocks. And so we kept getting like all these like random letters on the key and it just didn't make any sense. And so we spent like a good hour and a half on this, like what should have been a very, very, very simple puzzle. And we like looked at all of the clues that they give you and they were like, oh, you know, they like, told us what we were already doing. And they were like, why can't we get the answer right? But yeah, it's because we can't read clocks, I guess and can't count. Is it like an AR escape room? Um, that's what they kind of described it as. I've never done an escape room, so I have no idea. Um, but oh. you know, like, the concept of an escape room. Yeah, where, you, like, you have puzzles and you get locked in and you have to, like, beat them to leave, or you right. just run like, out of I've time. Ne I've never done an escape room either, but yeah, I, that, that's um, what I know of, of them. I think so, except... Yeah, I guess it, I don't know, it's, yeah, I guess it's just like an AR um, escape room, but in like a strange setting, 
and you have to do all these. Oh, there was this other puzzle that we had to do where we had to like light a candle and like do these like weird like hand puppets and spelled out a word. That was mm-hmm. very strange. Um, it was much easier than the clock puzzle, but um, I'm also terrible at puzzles, so I was just sort of like ugh, holding on for dear life. <laughs> just being like, I'll let you, <laughs> you people do this. I just wanted to see what this game is about. <laughs> but I'll probably go back and play again because it was a lot of fun, even if it was really frustrating. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be like a really big game with like a bunch of hours. And like, I wonder how many I get. I was just like curious when they were telling me about it, if it like calculates, like sort of estimates like how quickly you move through the puzzles into those hours. Mm-hmm. Or, like what if oh, you're like really. Within the app. Yeah, like within the app. Um, yeah, but there's some that are like sort of like AR. And then there's just other ones that are just like definitely paper and pencil kinds of things, which is, I don't know, it's an interesting blend of both. Dang, I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. Sounds neat. Huh. The um, website doesn't really give you much information about what it is. I was about to say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, I looked it up when you mentioned it, and I, uh, I couldn't really tell what I was looking at. Yeah. They keep it like, I don't know, I think they just like want it to be pretty mysterious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they've succeeded. Yeah, but like also just like, well, what is it? We don't really know. But yeah, you like you're you're looking at this big map, and you have to like figure out coordinates. And there's these like sort of like tools that you use that are sort of like compasses. There's like a mermaid and an octopus. It's all very elaborate, and I feel like you spend most of the time trying to figure out like what are the instructions to figure out the clues, but. They're still pretty early on in the game. They just completed, like, the second level. Um, and I think they, they have, like, by this time have gone through, like, every single one, like, kind of puzzle already. So they don't have to just be like, what are the rules? So I feel like that's the oh, worst okay. part of, like, starting a new, like, board game. It's just like, how are we supposed to play? Yeah, that's like, uh, keep talking and nobody explodes. Because that's like the first time you play that it's, uh-oh, we have to flip through this manual and figure out what all these different puzzles are. And then like the third or fourth time, it's like, okay, we got one of these types of puzzles. Mm-hmm. You got to build up those frames of like reference. But yeah, when you first jump in, it's like, all right, I, I guess we'll just fail as many times as yeah. possible until we can stop doing that. Yeah, yeah it's, a soul, it's a Souls-like. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, this week, uh, yeah, just in general, I've been playing... Um, a few games, yeah, RimWorld, as we had talked about just a bit ago with both Travis and Rebecca, and that was a big hoot, and I'd like to continue that sometime. Uh, yesterday, there was this game called Battle Brothers that went on sale, where you, it's like a turn-based game in this kind of low fantasy world, where you take your little group of mercenaries, and you travel around doing contracts, and fighting mythic beings, and just other bandit groups, and uh, I thought that was really neat. But then I thought, oh, I don't know, hmm, I don't know if I wanted to spend the money on that, so I refunded it. Then I got Mordhau, this thirty-dollar medieval sword fighting game that just came out on Steam, and the yeah. sword fighting in that was amazing. It was super visceral and a lot of fun to like. I mean, okay, when I I played it, I spent most of my time dying because I wasn't very good at it. But once I was starting to get the hang of it, it was like such a great feeling to have like a knight run at you and you counter his attack and then you stab him in the face and 
getting these really cool battles. It was really, really neat. Then I got antsy and thought, oh, no, but, oh, there's so little content. Oh, I don't know. Oh, so I refunded it. <laughs> um, and now I'm looking, thinking back and I'm like, oh, should I? Oh, oh no. Oh. <laughs> so maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back and pick up either Battle Brothers or Mordhau. Uh, I'm not sure. Perhaps Battle Brothers, because there's a lot of content there, and I do like turn-based games. Yeah, mm. how much was it? Uh, uh, it was on sale for like $15. Oh, nice. Yes, 15 bucks. That's yeah. Yes. And that has it has DLCs that have come out. So, you know, maybe maybe I'll pick that up or maybe I'll just keep putting it off forever. Um <laughs> Wait till it goes on sale again. Yeah. Yeah, I might. Probably. I've done that with many games. Um and even then when it goes on sale again, I go mm, mm, mm. It'll go on sale again. <laughs> yeah, it'll go on. It'll, it'll get cheaper. <laughs> it's already like 10 bucks and so mm, even cheaper. I feel I've been spoiled by games on Steam having sales yeah. so often, like for such a significant amount. It's like, I'm only paying 15 bucks, which is significantly cheaper than paying like 30 or 60. But even then I'm thinking, oh, it'll get cheaper. Mm. That's, that's better than my approach, which is, oh, it's on sale. I better grab it now since it's oh, on no. sale. <laughs> and then I just have all, like all the Final Fantasy games in my Steam library. I've never touched them. <laughs> This is like years ago that I've bought It's your them. virtual shelf where you can just look at them and go, ah, yes, <laughs> I own these. Um, recently, as in I think yesterday, this old like 90s shooter called Blood got like a remaster. And I love that game. I have an original copy of it and I saw it got a remaster so I wouldn't need like a disc copy and it would run like 1080p, at, like high frame rates. I picked that up. Oh, I've been having a blast playing that game. That's been... That's been a hoot, and I'll, I intend to play a lot more of it tonight, because I, I just, ooh, ooh, that's one of those games I can just, like, start up and, like, sit down and play. I don't know, like, there, 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 there are games like that, you know, where you'll, you'll play a certain type of game and you'll go, wow, that was really great, but it was such, like, an investment, I don't really want to go back in and play it again, or, you know, you keep putting it off, but then there are other games that are just so easy to pick up and play. That you just kind of like, you play it in like once a year or so, just just because. Mm -hmm. For me, Blood is like one of those games. And it's, oh, it's a comfort food. In a way. The comfort food of games. Yeah, but, uh, I, I yeah. used to do that with like Skyrim and also <laughs> Fear. Oh, hell yeah. Like, I used to, I used to like play Fear, uh, not intentionally, but I would play it like religiously once a year. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. Like, yeah, it's about that time uh, when I was um, living in Tacoma with a roommate. Uh, he he had never seen or played Fear, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I'll just I'll install it and show you like the first level." Like a day later, he and I had sat in like the living room and played through the game and both of its expansion packs. <laughs> one of which is terrible because I just I lo I love the gameplay. <laughs> like it, it's just it's weird. It's like a an addiction. And so I, I keep that game uninstalled now for fear of, like, starting it up and then playing it for hours. Yeah, I feel like the uh, slow motion in sound effect in that game it just, Ooh. like, gives you a, a, an immediate serotonin boost. <laughs> so good. We need, we need more games like this. But then I realized if that was true, I would miss out on many other games because I would only be playing one thing over and over again. Yeah. yeah. It's, maybe it's also good that, that fear is, like, a unique experience. Otherwise, it would just lose a lot of its value. Yeah, then it would just be... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because now it's like, oh, fear. Yeah, that one thing is great rather than, uh, yep, 
So many games are like it. Eh. I can I can already envision a terrible alternate reality where there's a genre called fear likes. Uh oh. <laughs> it's like oh we got we've got a new fear like out this year. How does it improve oh, on the as improve on the fear formula? Speaking of formulas, is this this is blood fresh supply that you're talking about? Yes. Okay, it, it looks like a Doom clone. Uh yeah yeah it's from that age. Yeah. It runs on like the same engine of as um Duke Nukem 3D and Shadow Warrior like the really old ones. Um, but I, I love it. I don't know. This, the theming you play is this like resurrected bounty hunter who worked for this evil god and then you got betrayed and then you emerge from your grave and you say, all right, I'm going to get my revenge. So you run around <laughs> shooting hooded cultists and uh, blowing up the armies of the undead. It's like, oh, this is like campy and this is fun. Just what I want. All right. Well, it's been neat to you know hear what everyone's been playing. Hey, wait a minute. What, what was that? Was that laugh? <laughs> I gotta move on somehow. No, no all right. No breathing allowed. No breathing allowed. I want you. I want you guys deep blue. All right. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hell yeah. Well. Speaking uh, of in deep the, in, blue. Oh, oh, what about what about blue? Uh, the dark elves in the Elder. Oh Scrolls. yes. The dark elves <laughs> in the Elder Scrolls. Great transition. Now, that is a yeah, a fantastic transition to. A thing we had brought up in the intro. I believe someone in this goddamn call wrote an yeah. article about this. <laughs> Not going to name names, but if they'd like to speak up. Yeah. Uh, well, that'd be that. That'd be me. It's me. Tra it's me, Travis. Uh, all hello. Hi, Travis. Hello. Hi, Travis. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'll give you the setup and the and the brief summary the here. So that I'll give you the setup and the punchline. Um, <laughs> so this is just kind of like a combination of like a like a like a personal essay slash like a just kind of like a deep think piece i played a lot of morrowind as a kid i played uh, a lot of oblivion and then i i played a lot of skyrim and the Elder Scrolls has just been a uh the the games that introduced me i think maybe to rpgs or at least like high fantasy rpgs um and so Bethesda, uh, they released a mobile Elder Scrolls game, Elder Scrolls Blades, this year, and I decided to try that out. Um, and it just kind of gave me like th this, gave me this weird sense of deja vu back to like as a kid playing these games like Morrowind, and all of these games start with a character creator. And I, in this piece, I, I kind of try to go into like the lore that is established in the Elder Scrolls series, um, the continent of Tamriel, which is this big, uh, Pangea where these different races live. And, uh, as the games progress, they, with the, uh, with Morrowind, they narrow it down to these 10 races you can play as. And so, um, I kind of explain how there are the beast races, the Khajiit and the Argonians, there are the elves which are the uh, the High Elves, the Dark Elves, the Wood Elves. Um, and then you have some human races in the Nords, the Bretons, the, who am I forgetting, the Imperials, and the Red Guards are a race uh, on the west side of the continent. And so I just kind of look at this, and I remember as a kid thinking, like, there isn't really a character here who looks like me, who looks like, a, like an Asian person or a, like a biracial half-Asian person. That wasn't mm -hmm. something I could make in this game and it kind of being one of the first games with a character creator that i ever played kind of set the tone for me like for video games in general and it kind of gave me this expectation of like 
I, I like okay. I like I shouldn't really expect to be able to play as an Asian character uh, in games with a character creator because like. You know, I I don't know. I'm a minority. The people who make these games are are white people. I live in a country where there are mostly white people, and media is mostly about white people. Um, and so that was just kind of something I, you know, I it wasn't something I was I was super upset about or anything as a kid. But I do remember just kind of that thought of like just a like a little bit of disappointment and not of of course being really young and not realizing that this is just kind of one of those. Um, like one of those unfortunate like byproducts of institutionalized racism that exists and will continue to exist. Um, and so in this piece, I just kind of, I, I talk about the, the lore of Tamriel and how there is this continent uh, called Akavir, where you see some of the relics of Akavir on Tamriel that are, they, they're meant to look like East Asian uh, things. Like there's some East Asian architecture in uh, blades temples the blades are descendants of of akaviri peoples um or the organization i guess i should say in the well, this is the, part of this discussion is just like very nerdy elder scrolls lore <laughs> and like yeah. really deep dives into <laughs> into lore that it's hard to like talk about on a surface level and so i guess my goal in this piece was to to, to use a lot of that lore knowledge that i gained just from from just how much i love the elder scrolls series and also kind of do my best to 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 paint the bigger picture for uh this just kind of argument i'm trying to make about um the idea of fantasy worlds in video games character creators in video games really needing to uh provide a way for people of in my opinion people of any race to be able to create a character that's reflective of them and in this high fantasy world of of tamriel in the elder scrolls there are many options for uh, white players to make white people who look like them. There's even there's a race that represents black people, uh, the Red Guards, and that's really the extent in this game. There are then like there's the beast races. They're just high fantasy. They don't really represent too much of anyone. There's you know the the cat people. There's the lizard people. I mean, I will say that people. like the Khajiit definitely have a kind of unsavory sort of like Romani vibe about them. Yeah, which is I, yeah, I was trying to figure out a way to, to bring that especially in as well. Especially in Skyrim, which is interesting because I don't remember that in Morrowind or Oblivion. I've only I ever either. played Skyrim, so that's just... Yeah, I don't remember that, like, I don't remember that being a thing in those other games, which is, I've never thought about <laughs> That's very... Hmm. And then I guess also kind of like Jewish slums with the... um the the dark elves but i don't know just like unsavoryness about how they racialize i guess other races but use right. sort of like human examples um in ways that i i think are a little impolite yeah i mean it's it's a place where you have these very high fantasy races and then like the game obviously is trying to do something with race just because of the way it very I, I I try to compare it to like a binary system, right? Like you're an imperial or you're a Breton, and the game is is very uh, it kind of avoids the topic of any sort of mixed race people. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of been this like background thing of like, well, these people they coexist. Do they not like breed or whatever? But the game doesn't really like want to get into that. It just kind of. I think for the sake of simplicity or something, it's just it's there's a lot to unpack about the way that the Elder Scrolls 
uh, treats race. I I don't know how successfully I am able to unpack it in this piece, but at, being a person who, uh, being a person who has Asian ancestry, that's kind of the angle that I tried to to lean in on, um, as a way to focus the piece. Uh, look at one specific area in that the the Akavir analog, and then. Uh, just like in some of my personal experience, I guess, and, and get it in there. But I think this also applies to many other people. Like, there, if you if you're a Latino player, there's not really any. There's no option to make a person who really looks like you either. Um, other than white people and also black people, it's there. There just isn't a lot to to to. There's a lot to do in this game if 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 you're a minority, and I it's in sharp contrast to some other games we've seen like Mass Effect, uh, Fallout games. You can do a lot with race in those games. Uh, Will I think you mentioned you were playing Star Trek Bridge Crew? Yeah, and they and it was the first game I can think of that had sliders, so you could make somebody who was like a third of one, a third of this, and something else, and it was just like, oh, this is very neat. I've never, I I can't think of anything that has had that before. Yeah, I and if uh, and oh, go. Oh, if, I was just gonna say, if anyone listening wants to read this article, you can find it on hitpointpals.com. Yes, along with our podcasts there. I was gonna say, I feel like when I don't, know, I didn't really start to unpack sort of like my own racial identity, and for like quite a while, because like I'm also biracial, although I am extremely white passing, and so. Um, I feel like with my own experience, it was more just that, like people just assumed I was white. And so that's just kind of like the default. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, like it took really just like going to college and being like, oh, what? You know, let's let's take some like critical race theory and like learn what that means. Um, but I found that like even just in um, like American pop culture, there's still just a really like binary view to like what race is just like it being this like, kind of like this preservation of like a one drop rule sort of thing you know in, in mm -hmm. some situations yes where it's like you are either white or you're not white and everyone else is either you know you're 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 the white or people or you're you're the black people essentially and so it's really strange when you like don't fit into either one of those and i feel like it's also strange when you are a mixed race person and you kind of have to like assert your mixed raceness it's not something that just like is applied to you um, mm -hmm. and so which, uh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry no keep oh going. no i, I was just up. saying that like that's just like such a thing in america it's like oh if you you know like look brown or black then you are assumed to be that even if you're an extremely just tan white person whereas like i'm just very very white and people most of the time just assume that i'm white when that's not true and I think just like with um, sort of like the Elder Scrolls universe, it just takes like in a very like American centric view of like what race is. And I feel like misses out on a lot of like really great storytelling opportunities that come from sort of like mixed backgrounds. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, there's so much lore in that world. Mm -hmm. And the, like I know Marwin tries to do some like, so, some like race centric stuff like they have this dynamic where uh will just correct me if i'm wrong but the the beast races i think in marwind are, are are like enslaved in some cases the yeah so the okay now i need to like try and walk this line <laughs> between like well in game lore and then like 
race and whatnot. But yeah, in um the Elder Scrolls like lore in general, the Dark Elves, the Dunmer, are known for being like the slaver race. Oh, okay. They cause they they are the ones who own slaves. Does that believe. really come into play in any game other than Morrowind? No, because the, all the other games take place outside of Morrowind, okay. where the Dark Elves aren't like the established like power that can just like deal yeah, with the slave in trade. Yeah, in Morrowind there's like there's actual plantations and the Dark Elves are these plantation owners and they um they own uh you you'll see um Argonians and you'll see Khajiit working their fields and I believe there is a faction called the Oh, I lost it. The lan- lit, something about lit, fucking lanterns, right? Oh shit, dude, it's been so long. Yeah, I can't <laughs> remember. Damn, wow. Now, yeah. There's a faction that's like the Underground Railroad essentially. And they don't really come into play as much as I wish that they did. Like, if you play Fallout 4, there's this whole, uh, there's this whole slavery analog with the synths, and there's, uh, what is it called? The Oh, it's just the railroad, literally. Yeah. Um, and that goes very in-depth and lets you ally with the railroad. That's not a thing in Morrowind, so it's interesting. It almost feels like they started to write some story and some quests about that and then didn't. I know mm-hmm. there, I'm trying to keep my facts straight because I know there was a mod I played that added a bunch of... Uh, Added a bunch of railroad type stuff, and I don't want to get that mixed up. Um, so yeah, that's what I remember from. They 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 introduced these interesting ideas uh, with race in Morrowind, um, but it's still just there's a, there's a lot about race in the Elder Scrolls series that just rubs me the wrong way. Just from starting the character creator up and then going through the world and realizing that like there's this very binary identity. And I think, Will, we talked about the Bretons and how, like... Yeah, yeah they are written about um, in, like, older Elder Scrolls games as though they are a mixed race. But in the games, they've never been portrayed that way. So the, the Bretons, if you just look at them, you would go, okay, they're, like, tall, skinny, Northern European. That's it. I mean, that's what they look like. Um, but in the writing of the game, or the writing of some of the lore, they are supposed to be mixed between a mixed race of elf and men, and they are supposed to have like a lot of these traits and kind of be in this weird gray zone about all, the elves don't really consider them elvish, and men are a little weary of them, like wary of them. I mean, but in the game, in the games, that's not a thing. No, not at all. I didn't even like, oh, know that. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, because, well, I mean, I wouldn't have known that either unless I had, like, read about it. And it's like, huh, so they, like, wrote this out, but then decided no? Or did they, like, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Yeah, there's a lot but, of strange background, like, books in these games over, mm-hmm. like, at least the, the later games that try to explain some of the things that, that we're kind of asking questions about. Like, I know there's a book called, uh, like, Notes on... Uh, something um and it it kind of talks about how like when when different races in this game uh reproduce the child like it takes the race of the mother which is kind of like just a goofy way to explain this this weird in-game problem of like where are the mixed race people it's like well they don't they don't exist i guess in this world but then what are the bretons i don't oh, know <laughs> oh, I, I guess maybe that's just not canon anymore i don't know who who even knows but Damn. Do you think that, I guess, like, how do you think having sort of, like, a more racial um, diversity would have, like, impacted your sort of, like, gameplay or how you sort of, like, related to and, I guess, enjoyed the game? Does that make sense? Um, can, can I interject yeah. here and answer with, uh, yeah, like, 
So I was introduced to Morrowind through Travis. Um, and yeah, like, like he had said, as a kid, when you're a lot younger, you kind of start off the character creator and you're like, oh, I can't make anyone who's like me. Well, oh, well, it's the game. You know, I want to play the game. So as a kid, and I've never really thought about this until like maybe end of high school through college and up to now, like I, this is the time I've been thinking about it, but a lot of games don't let me, yeah, make somebody who is half Asian or like multiracial like me. So especially starting with Marwind, I would just kind of go, okay, well then I will make somebody who is completely different or is like an outlander in this game's circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so I would always be playing as like a different character. I could never make a game where it was me on the adventure. I could never make a character where it was me going on the adventure. I always had to be something very different, something very other. And I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of weird to think about playing games with a character creator, yet you cannot create the character you want. Mm hmm. You can't, you can, you can customize your character in so many ways, but you can't make them you. So it just kind of gives me, or at least I think it led to me having this approach in games of, well, if I can't really make an analog for myself, I will just make some very different character and have myself very detached from the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It was, I don't know. I, it's just... I wonder how, I guess, when, when you do have like a customizable character, if the sort of like game developers really sort of like imagine... The players playing as themselves like i wonder if that's like a like a something that, that they actually like think about critically or if they're just like oh you know whatever i'll make whoever yeah. yeah i mean i wonder that too because like in any game you'll have people who say like this is the way you're supposed to play the game or whatever and then like when i play a game a lot of times in rpgs i uh, i i lean towards the more like role-playing side of it so like i'll make a character and i'll try to like give them like a personality and I'll try to do like, I don't go super hardcore or anything, but like, I just kind of try to establish like morals. Like I, in most of the time when I play Elder Scrolls games, like I, I like I, I can't bring myself to like run around and like murder people willy nilly. Like that's just not something mm-hmm. I would do. And so the, the character, like you get like, <laughs> like, like Miyamoto who talks about like, yeah, I, I named him link because he's the link between the player and the game. Ha ha. And, but I think that's kind of how, like, that's kind of how I play a lot of these games where you make a, where you make a custom character. Like I'll, when I play mass effect and I make like an Asian looking guy or an Asian looking woman. And some I, I think the female voice in mass effect is way more tolerable, uh, than, than Mark Mir. So that's what I do. But, um, um, I, I just kind of try to play them like a, as if they are like the best version of myself that I could be. Mm-hmm. And so ha- having the ability to play someone who not only acts like me, but also looks like me is something that I think is, is has been missing uh, from the Elder Scrolls series. And it's present in some other games that I really like, like Knights of the Old Republic has some Asian faces uh, and then Mass Effect. I, I'll keep defaulting to because that is, yeah, that's kind of the game where I, I, it feels to me like that was, that's one of the first times I can remember being able to go, Oh yeah, I can like sculpt this guy's face and I can like, there's some defaults where like it defaults to like, there's some presets for Asian looking people and I can kind of start there. And it's like thinking like, Oh, this was, this was like thoughtful of them. I like that. I can play a, a an Asian character where I'm so used to like Marwin and oblivion where it's like, there's a lot of, white people but i can't play an asian person and part of what i wrote about was just 
I'm trying to put it in the context of like these games come out every X amount of years, five or six years or so. There's a new Elder Scrolls game coming up, and I just think about like it's I, I it's so important in media in general to be able to have media that represents you, and so we've seen some examples with like Into the Spider Verse, and we've seen like Crazy Rich Asians, and having these things that you can watch and really see yourself in is just so impactful i think mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. to like kids and the way that kids grow up in this society where there's so much diversity in america but so much of the media is just so white centric um and another point that i try to hit is that like kind of drawing the distinction between the fantasy world of like the lord of the rings films and the fantasy world that exists in a video game and how when you sit down to make yourself in a video game, it's a lot different than sitting down to watch people in The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because with a video game, y- you are going to be, you know, taking part in this kind of adventure or this world. Whereas when you sit down to like, yeah, like watch The Lord of the Rings, it's it's non-participatory. You know, it's if I was to read something and I didn't feel that I was being represented in that work of literature, I wouldn't really... I don't think it would be very reasonable for me to demand like representation for me. Right. Um, but in a game where I am actively participating in it and, and it has the option of a character creator. Yes. It's just maybe I'm o- omitted. Yeah. It's, it's this very different thing where it's, yeah. For these interactive mediums, you really should, you know, if you, if it's interactive for everyone to interact with, you should probably reflect that in the game itself. Like I wouldn't want to change the Lord of the Rings. Like the way I like it the way it is. Um, but you're not participating in the world. Exactly. Yeah. I am watching and I can get invested in these characters. I like this world. This is how it's written. If there are things that aren't shown, I can go, oh, dang, I wish we could see this. But that, that's what it is. And this is what it has focused on. If it was a game uh, with a character creator, especially, then it's kind of this case of uh, I, uh, if you're going to let me actively play in this world, let me actively play in this world. If that's what somebody wants to do. Yeah. I think it's also like a game with a set protagonist like Halo or like The Witcher. Like I, I, I'm I, playing a white guy and I'm going to like try to buy into it as much as I can. But there's always going to be a slight disconnect because I'm going to be watching like cinematic cutscenes and I'm going to be hearing this deep white guy's voice. And I'll be like, like, I'm just this is kind of like watching a movie, right? Like I'm just experiencing this the way that this character was written but then when you get introduced to the aspect of a character creator i think it gives it a whole nother just set of cool things and also problems as you see in the elder scrolls but then like games that do it well i think like or games that do it better i guess i should say because mass effect has its own set of problems but just being able to like sculpt a person i think gives you so much more like freedom to be able to visually represent yourself but then it also puts a lot on the developers to have to make sure that like you don't leave anyone out and i feel like the elder scrolls has always been a series that has kind of these roots in like the 90s with arena and like i mean you look back at games from the 90s and like you probably don't expect all that much diversity there like it's kind of (laughs) it's a product of its time but this is a case where this series has maintained the same world lore and it hasn't really done anything progressive to try to kind of include 
more people and be more inclusive to different types of people as the series has gone on and as games in general have become more progressive and as the the world hopefully becomes more progressive i don't know where we are mm-hmm. right now but <laughs> uh, <sighs> i mean i also i don't want to like keep complaining but um as like far as you know making sure that games are inclusive i feel like there's kind of like the the elephant in the room is that like it assumes that like everyone who's playing is able-bodied as these characters in mm-hmm sort of the the game where it's like you have to run around and like you know shoot a bow and you're like you're you're pretty active um sorry i don't know if you can hear the car alarm oh i i just heard it okay yeah, i think i heard it for just a bit yeah i'll wait someone else can talk <laughs> okay oh oh uh, well um travis <laughs> uh, I, what, what were we talking about uh we were just going all over the place on race and representation in games yeah um <laughs> okay I, i'm going on a bit of a tangent here this can yeah, get yeah. cut if it has to but like i i swear to you i've never noticed this and i don't know if it's because it's just being it's becoming more and more and more of a big thing but like women or people of color in games as a kid I always thought, like, I'm playing a game and this is a character in the game. Like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I swear now online I see a lot of people complaining about, like, these fucking SJWs re-putting, oh, they're putting politics in our games and all this and oh, these cucks, uh, get woke, go broke. Yeah. And I, I would, and they're like, oh, we gamers must stand up. And it's like, I and many other people, I would consider myself a gamer, but I don't, I feel like this whole thing has happened and I just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I really don't. Like the Mortal Kombat, the latest Mortal Kombat has a non-canon ending where a character who is of African descent says, like gets a wish or something and says, I wish, you know, I'm going to go back in time and make slavery not happen. Whatever, we don't need to talk about the specifics of how he would go about that. It's a video game ending in a Mortal Kombat game. Yeah, his wishes for there to never have been slavery. That's pretty yeah, simple that's, to that's understand. That is, yeah, that's it. And then there were people online. Not a whole lot, but there were people who were like, wow, I can't believe this. And then they'd play this whataboutism thing about, did you know that actually other black Africans did most of the selling? And it's like, that's that's not what he's talking about. In fact, that is part of what he's talking about, I should say. But... This whataboutism isn't, you know, in the aim of, like, expanding the knowledge of other people about the historical facts of slavery. It's about, like, well, it wasn't all white people. We were not not all whites. It's like, yes, we know. But, like, how is a black character saying slavery is bad political? <laughs> it's not. But Or, like, um, oh, what was another case of this? Uh, the newest Wolfenstein game, uh, Wolfenstein. Oh, I remember hearing new, about that. Uh, what was it called? New Colossus, I think. Um, Is that the third one? Nazis were the bad people. Yeah, it's like Nazis are the bad guys, and you go around killing Nazis. And there's like parts in the game where you see Nazis in the clan, like out in the open, and it's like, okay, cool, we're fighting these like Nazis, and then people would complain about like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, killing Nazis is cool now, huh? And it's like. Uh, yup <laughs> killing yeah, nazis yes, has is. always been cool <laughs> and it's like not only that but there's this like african-american woman in the game who is i think working with a, co- a group of communists 
okay, cool. You're teaming up with them tentatively to, you're teaming up with them for the time being to fight the Nazis who are in control of like most of the world. Okay, communism has done a lot of bad things in the world, but we're playing a video game and we're teaming up with these people to fight the Nazis. And then some people online would talk about like, just because we're killing the Nazis doesn't mean we have to like the communists. It's like, you, you don't. That's not even the point of the game. You're teaming up with them to kill Nazis. That's all Wolfenstein is like about. You play this character and you go out and fight Nazis. But apparently, you know, it's just, oh, politics in my games. And also, what on earth does politics in games mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Politics have always been in games. It's like... Politics have always been in every medium. I just, I don't get it. It's like Bioshock is like a, a straight up analog for like a libertarian paradise gone wrong. Yeah. Like to its fullest extent. That is like, that's the crux of that world. And then a black guy says slavery, no good. No politics in my games. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. It's, I mean, it's pretty much just <laughs> politics. I dis- I don't want politics. I disagree with in my games. That's right. What that I, I see it to. as as a, just a very thinly veiled excuse for like anytime a a games protagonist is advertised as like a woman or a black person or a minority or like you can play as a woman in Battlefield Five. It just gives people this excuse to go. This is political, which is really telling in that they view anything that isn't their you know white nationalist ideal as, as political yeah, yeah like um oh man yeah like uh, the term forced to diversity is used a lot in relation to like these like dudes talking about like gaming and all these people uh, like different the representation for more people in games they'll, t- they'll point to it and say it's forced diversity yeah they would point like, to I'm my t- like essay and go you're advocating for forced diversity in the elder scrolls and it's like oh what like yeah, they just say, oh, it's forced. How is it forced? Of course, there's no there's no real response to that, but that's not the point of what they're saying. I feel like but it's, it's crazy like... that, like, they think it's forced because, like, if you just, like, go outside, you're going to see people right. who don't look like you. <laughs> and they aren't, like, forced to be there. They are there. What? You know? No. You play these, like, fantasy games, and it's like, whatever. Like, goblins and orcs existing. I sleep. Women? Real shit. It's like, what the f- Women? You expect me to believe that there are women in the world? Ah! One of my favorite videos is- And by favorite, I mean I fucking hate this video. It's a guy who just goes on a rant about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and he says that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is teaching kids bad, like, history by- saying that there were like women in power in ancient Greece and that they did all this cool shit and fought people and just over the entirety of the video like like is he like looking at historical facts yeah is he looking at like you fight minotaurs in this game no it's just like <laughs> it's it's very conveniently omitted it just yeah. because he just wants to push this whole like uh, like what is the word like just male supremacist view of yeah that's like agenda of just <sighs> yeah man i got into this discussion with this guy at like college about like video games and like you know representation and stuff and about and he made this comment about like games journalism has gone downhill oh that's just like, the, that's the classic take right and i was yeah and i was just like oh <laughs> wait a minute because he we, we hadn't talked about like race that much and i was like oh well, what do you mean and then we got on this tangent about like forced diversity and it reached a point where it was like i don't even know 
what this guy is talking about. He's like, yeah, no, because then that's forced. So what if like there's a, a black character in this game? Well, then that's not forced. Then what the fuck is forced? I don't get it. It's like this weird. It's this like. Uh, what would it? It's like a buzzword yeah. that they just toss out. Forced diversity. Okay, how is it forced? Uh, um, it's just like it's just like these buzzwords that they'll toss out. And go ah, forced diversity, and then it gets all the people who share that worldview, you know, riled up and agreeing with that person, despite the fact that uh, there's nothing there really. There's not really a reason for an argument. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell it's a problem if like they. They make some sort of a shooter with, like, a white male protagonist. Okay, cool, whatever. If the game's good, I'd play it. But you know, in a lot of cases, if you changed the sexuality, the gender, the race of that main character, you would have a lot of people on the internet screaming about white genocide and how SJWs are taking over games media. And it's like, you guys, you're not playing these games for the game. <laughs> you're You're just, like, picking these arguments and just using them as this foundation as this kind of like veil as this kind of boogeyman as like a scapegoat for these things that are going on yeah and i wonder if because you know like games and media has been so like white you know historically um mm-hmm. you know that like they, because like they they never really had to like confront sort of their own like sort of like safe space being like infiltrated as like i guess i don't know like literal spaces out in the world became like unsegregated um mm-hmm. and so like they were able to like stay in their little like segregated bubbles in their video games um haha <laughs> all these lib cucks in their safe spaces you fucking snowflakes <laughs> black women in my game <laughs> yeah and then the whole world like ends black women. um a series that Travis and I play some games in is the Total War series. It's this strategy game franchise. A while back, they had an update that bumped up um, the amount of female generals that would spawn for certain cultures. The Romans would not have female generals, so there are no female generals in Rome in, for that game. Mm-hmm. For this, the Total War Rome 2, it's this ancient uh, strategy war game. Uh, and some of the barbarian or more tribal factions and different types of cultures, some of them have uh, women rulers. Okay, that's that's fine, you know? Maybe some of the rates aren't fully historical, but, I mean, you're already playing, like, through several layers of abstraction in a video game, so, you know, okay, whatever. And nobody said anything. Maybe a few people on the Steam discussions brought it up and were like, oh, this is, oh, what changed here? Okay. Then, months later, some YouTube commentary game channel whatever brought up like there's women generals in these games this is a historical their creative assembly the company that makes these games is taken over by social justice warriors ah and then suddenly all of these games were getting review bombed like downvoted because of women in the game and it was just this it was this big thing and you know you can tell it's just yeah like you said they're just like all right it's time to get mad about this new thing because nobody was really mad about it when it happened. Yeah. Like when the when that when this change in female generals happened, nobody really cared. Busy playing the game. But then of course, some commentator about like some gamer commentator had to bring up like, it's time to get angry about women generals. And then a bunch of the, all of the, these followers who had no interest in it evidently earlier, now suddenly they cared about like women in games and stuff and we're against all of this and it's just yeah it's this thing of they're listening to these 
leaders on these like weird rage channels or whatever that just tell them all right it's time to get mad about women and minorities yeah i think that to me goes back to like the platform of youtube and how dangerous it is yes <laughs> and just these mouthpieces for uh for racist and misogynistic viewpoints and how they have all of these uh dedicated followers who will just believe everything they say and are so eager to jump on any sort of call to action whether it's like review bombing a game or just spreading sending hate death in general threats to people sending death yeah. threats to game developers um the whole Gamergate movement or I, I, today uh, there was a piece about how uh, YouTube demonetized uh, one of the biggest Gamergate people. Like, I, I don't know what his name is because I like the video game news outlets that I follow does a really good job of like making sure you don't fucking know any of these garbage people. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's also like, like YouTube took forever to demonetize this person. And there's he's like he's not banned from the platform. He's just unable to make money off of it now. Um, mm -hmm. You see that problem in YouTube. You see that problem in Twitter, uh, Facebook. I guess like just decided to get rid of Infowars. I hate also. I don't know. Just as like sort of related, but like the whole like free speech argument. Because if you think about like these sort of platforms, like Infowars, yeah, maybe they're exercising their free speech by like saying these whatevers, but that then sort of prevents other minority people who have historically like not been able to sort of practice and exercise the rights for free speech so like when mm -hmm. you do silence you know like people who are there who are fascists you know like online like you are you know promoting free speech by silencing them because you're allowing you're preventing them from like talking over other people and like making the world more dangerous um for minority folks sorry soapbox moment but <laughs> i had to say it oh so now everyone you disagree with is a nazi huh yeah so much for the is. tolerant they left <laughs> they are everyone's <laughs> not that's the <laughs> oh oh man fuck politics but also they're very important to sell <laughs> Yeah, it's this it's this dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never I've never understood the whole keep politics out of our games. I mean I don't think well, I they should, don't really I should understand restate it that. I do understand it. It's just not the way that they're trying to phrase it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just cause like they like games have always been political to people who are not like in the majority, right? Yeah. Like their whole lives have been political. Which is neither like good thing nor a bad thing it is just a thing and so like when other people who have not had to deal with that are confronted with the fact that like they aren't always right it's it's really scary oh no they're oh, going no. to they're oh, going no. to take away oh, the, no. the privilege that's been institutionalized in our society through hundreds oh, no, of years no, of no, no. of of minorities being you know, not able to be wealthy and contribute to pop culture because they were enslaved and couldn't do that shit. Uh, one of the things that amazes me most in like U.S. history, and I don't think it's like really brought up much, is okay. We have we were taught about the conclusion of the American Civil War. Slavery in the South is abolished, and then they pass amendments, pretty much ending it in the rest of the United States. And yeah, there's the whole thing about like unless you're you know a prisoner, and then there's some things there. But on the whole, okay, slavery is done. 
okay, what? And then, but then you have this discussion in classes as a kid, like then in the sixties, you get the civil rights moment, like movement. And there's this period of like a hundred years that isn't really talked about, about, wait a minute, but didn't slavery end? What happened to like re-suppress these people? Like uh, at the end of the civil war, African-Americans now freed were given representation in state senates because the army of like the north had the southern states occupied and kept a lot of like rich whites who had supported the confederacy out of power so they had like redeveloped southern society and so there was like a lot of like african-american representation oh that's neat but then as time goes on like the north begins to like pull its troops out and I think the president after Lincoln gave a lot of the land that they had seized from rich whites back to the rich whites, leaving the newly like freed slaves with like n no economic base to stand on to protect themselves. And then it's like it's no wonder that over the next like 100 years, their, their power, their like representation and their ability to vote and participate in a democracy was like very quickly eroded. Like, I believe there were there was the southern um how how do i want to say this representation of african americans in like southern state senates um was like at an all-time high in like 1870 and it did not reach that same level until like 1970 because a lot of like african americans got voted out of power and like suppressed by white elites and it's like what the fuck all these like small things like You'll hear people say, no, the Civil War ended slavery and, you know, it's it's gone. We don't need to worry about that anymore. But we do. Like, that was a fundamentally important institution to a large section of the country. And that affected the United States as a whole. You can't just ignore this thing and say, like, well, racism. Yeah, it's all that's in the past. Well, I don't see any racism. <laughs> that was very one. rambly, but I was just <laughs> I don't know. It's just sometimes I look back on things in the in the United States and I think. Oh, great. Here's a chance that they could like make history for the better. It won't be like easy, but it'll be a great thing. And then we don't do it. That's like, oh, that bums me out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> like it is in the past, but aside from that, like there's also very evidently the remnants of, uh, well, not remnants. There's very evidently still a lot <laughs> yeah, of overt racism. But even aside from that, like all you have to do is look at what is popular in pop culture and look at like how the Marvel cinematic universe is, is made up of white superheroes. And I mean, these are things that are being created by white people being in positions of, of power to make creative works. And they got there through, I guess just generations of people of white people being wealthy while minorities were not given that privilege. And it's just very evident that they have not been able to catch up because of the way capitalism works. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the uh, the Elder Scrolls, uh, Tamriel. Tamriel. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tamriel. Damn, we we we, we, we whoa, who we? Yikes. We really uh, we, went oh, down yeah, a rabbit we went hole. On a, yeah, after we heard a car alarm, yeah. I started <laughs> running up <laughs> politics. And, Let me see if I can if I can cap this with a few of my conclusions. Um, <laughs> one thing that I said was. And this is this is not something that will ever happen because nobody the Bethesda is not listening to me. Todd Howard is not listening to me. Uh, but I thought like it would be cool if the Elder Scrolls Six were able to give you some better options for facial features, right? So like, don't 
break the lore of the Elder Scrolls. Like, I don't know. Let me play, like, let me play a Breton, but let me, like, pick some eyes maybe that look like me or change my skin tone a little bit so it looks more like me. Something like mm-hmm. that. And then the other thing I say is that, like, maybe moving forward, try to think about the idea of if you're going to make, like, a, like a, like a very generic fantasy realm there's you don't have to like the Tolkien invented the fantasy like the eurocentric fantasy realm but you don't have to do that and i think it 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 works in film still it doesn't work as well in video games where you're a player in this world um and so you play a game like what like kingdom come deliverance and this is based in Mm -hmm. history so it makes sense that you're playing a white person in this game but if you're just if you're going to go into fantasy like there's so many possibilities there it just feels so regressive to continue to churn out new fantasy realms that are so eurocentric yeah and i also feel like the whole like oh it's based on history like there are not like lizard people or cat people in history like it it's very much like in the fantasy i mean were you there I guess not, you know. What the fuck were the dinosaurs, Maybe the dinosaurs could talk. (laughs) Who knows? But, yeah, I just feel like, you know, magic, you can, like, throw fireballs at people, and there are dragons that fly in the sky. So it doesn't have to be 100%, like, perfect to your very Eurocentric view of, I guess, what is fantastical. Yeah. I mean... And, like, don't get me wrong, I love the world of Game of Thrones. I think it's really cool. Like, I, I like the ju- the juxtaposition of you've got this one continent that's kind of like a, a very big Great Britain, and then you've got this other continent that's kind of like a mix of, like, like Central Asia, Middle Eastern type stuff. And as it goes, it kind of so it kind of mirrors the real world in that mm-hmm. sense. But then, like, also people can make other fantasy worlds and they don't have to to be so rooted in the Tolkienism. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind the worlds that exist, like Lord of the Rings and, and like Westeros, but especially in, in uh, the world of game development, like, there's so many cool things, there's so many cool routes you could take that if you know you're building a game where the player can um, make a, a character, there's... Like, there's so much you can do to make sure that they're inclusive and a part of, of that world. That's the end of that topic. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we might want to, yeah, maybe there's quite a bit in that whole rant. That we, we can just, remove. like... <laughs> yeah, where we're talking about, like, gamer culture and rage culture and all this. Yeah. Oh. Well, yeah. you have lots of feelings. You want to take a break? <laughs> I was gonna wait for Rebecca to come back to have this discussion about like talking about like I think she said something earlier on when we were talking about being very white passing and then how like you have to kind of assert what you are. Oh yeah, like we talked about so much stuff. I like I forgot to bring it back to like biracial identity and being very confused about like where you fit yeah. in. <laughs> but see, then I I also kind of want to talk about that, but I also wasn't sure if that would even fit in with like the Elder Scrolls thing we were talking about and gaming. Well, I think it all contributes to the bigger picture. I don't think I, yeah. I if it, it, you shouldn't get too hung up in like what contributes. Oh, oh. But yeah, like um, that that whole discussion about like 
yeah, you know, like pat or like yeah, like biracial identity, like like if I'm given the opportunity in documents, I will say I am Asian and white. But sometimes I've had some weird documents, even for like job applications and online things that don't ask that, that like don't give you the ability to pick two. Yeah. It's got this That's some shitty worst. like I like it when there's like, I like it when, when they I can like pick as many. Yeah, when you can pick as many or when they include like Southeast Asian as like something that's different than just like East Asian or South Asian. Yeah, because it's like I had applied to this job that used government jobs as like it's a, this online service for it. And in there it was like, all right, uh, what do you identify as? And I was like, OK, uh, Asian, there's white. That, yeah, that's, that's how I would identify if, if they're going to be this vague. I click Asian, I click white. Asian goes unchecked. Uh-oh. <laughs> Surprise. And then I start think and then I think like, okay, well I'll just okay, fine. I'll pick other because sometimes they do that and that's just like what is other? I don't know. They don't care. And there was no other. So it was like, uh-oh. Oh my uh-oh. gosh. They have to so like then, decide. That's like the worst. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and it's like, oh, um I mean, DNA wise, I guess I'm like my mom wanted us to do some tests. I guess I'm like, I don't know, like 52%, but that's like that's a dumb way to go about it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I mean, I am half, but um, I'm half the, oh, uh, so I just said, I'm, I, I'm yeah. Asian. I, I mean, I, just, I, I don't like having to pick between either, but if you make me, I'll, well, first I'll, I'll very much dislike you, but like, <laughs> it was just this weird thing of like, all right, I, I guess, like you know, I always choose Asian if there's like one I have to choose, even though like I do look very white, just because it's like fuck you, I get to pick. <laughs> it's like fuck you guys. If you're if you're not even gonna let me like pick anything, I have to be one. Then yeah, it's like yeah. I think the like, reasoning for me is like, well, like I guess I better represent Asian people since they're the oppressed minority in this equation. I don't need to contribute to like white supremacy here. Exactly. I'll just say I'm Asian. I don't know. The worst, like the thing, like about being be by like i had told travis this i think i think you were away from the microphone but you had mentioned like you have to like assert your who you are whereas people who are like fully white fully asian fully Af- of african descent don't have to do that mm-hmm. and I, yeah that was just like that to me is like the biggest problem with being like biracial is like you're never enough of one yeah like Sometimes I'll be talking about like Asian and like I, I identify very close with like my Asian side because, you know, I'm half Asian. My mother is Asian. I, the relatives I know most well are Asian. I, I've gone to Asia a lot. But then like you'll talk about that and you'll have maybe some other Asian friends like I've had some be like, well, you're not really Asian. I know. I know I'm not. Yes, well, that's the what? fucking worst. You mean I'm not Asian? Well, <laughs> it's just like or yeah, but I mean. You're not really like white. You look different. It's like I fucking know I do. You don't think I haven't noticed this, but it's never like everybody. At least in the United States, it's really everybody really likes. Oh, he's white. He's Asian. Uh huh. He's this. And then if you're biracial, it's like, oh, you're this mixed race person who's trying to be Asian. Oh, you're this mixed race person who's trying to be white. It's like, well, you're not giving anybody any options, so I guess they are. Yeah, I also I there was shit. this. I was like in some like deep sort of like racial discourse online and someone said like oh are you really a person of color if like a cop wouldn't call you or like wouldn't shoot you and i was just like what that's the qualifier like is that the qualifier for like who is a person of color or not like i was just so enraged it's a very problematic like definition and also there are like lots of people who are 
you know, who identify as black and are very, very light skinned, you know, because of like the one drop rule, they've been sort of like pushed into like the black yeah. umbrella. I, yeah. And, and then you get the colorism within yeah, that. And, and it's, it's just like, like oh. oh my gosh, like stop. Like you aren't helping here. Like I know you're trying to be woke, but you're not. <laughs> you're being really, really uh white really wokeism. Yeah. It was it was Hello, really my bad. name is Meredith. I am a nineteen year old white girl and I am the expert on ethnicity. Yes. It's like um, like in high school, hearing a lot of like Asian jokes, I didn't get that many because I am extremely, I, I, I would say I'm very white passing. Um, so I didn't get too many, but some that would be like, uh, like we'd be working on like a math worksheet or some shit in like high school. And so I'd be like, Will, you're half Asian. Aren't you good at this? And I'm not good at math. I've, I've been terrible at that. But it's like, you hear this every day that it reaches this point where you don't buy into it, but you just go, Haha, I guess I didn't inherit that part. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, ha ha ho ho, ooh, who knew? It's just like, it just gets so grating. And I just hate this feeling of like, I identify as biracial and I identify very closely with the fact that, yes, I am half white. And yes, I am half Asian. I have lots of family and like all of this. But it's just like, you're never enough. You're never like part of something. Yeah. And that, uh, there's like, I don't know. That just really, really gets to me. Like, I can't say that yes i am filipino because people will say well not really <laughs> and i can't say yes i am an american because then some people will say yeah american and some will go well i'm yeah but your mother's filipino and it's like well at least God damn people it. know what the philippines are i feel like that's the fucking <laughs> worst because my mom's malay and she grew up in singapore and they're like oh like where's malaysia and like <laughs> oh is that the caribbean it's, yeah oh, like fuck. oh my gosh like fuck. is that in china like oh my gosh no shut up like like, guys please stop please yes. no 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 <laughs> it's in china it's a whole hey, are country you, are you it's chinese? inside china are you chinese no oh you are you guys chinese oh, no 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 oh. there was a girl uh on my floor in my college dorm uh who offhandedly uh asked the you know the the classic question of like well, like, what's your ethnicity? And it's like, I've heard that so many times. Like, I fucking hate that question. Yeah. But like, at this point, I don't mind. Like, <laughs> yeah, and so I say a, like, yeah. well, uh, I say like, oh, I'm half Filipino. And she said, <laughs> I don't remember exactly how she phrased it, but she said, oh, but you can't be Filipino because the Philippines isn't a country. <laughs> and oh, I shit. said, wait a second. What? And she said, yeah, the Philippines isn't a country. It's a territory because the U.S. owns it. Oh, no. Welcome to 1899. <laughs> what? Let's rock. What? 1899 gang represent everyone. Oh my like, God. I had this one kid. I, I I really I used to really like this dude. Like we, we would like have talks. I always thought it was really funny. I looked up to him and one day we were talking about stuff like this back in high school. And I mentioned I was like half Asian and they asked like what what kind? Which is like, okay. But it was like <laughs> oh, Filipino. And this dude was like, that's Pacific Islander. And I was like, Oh, I've stand heard up that too. I was gonna stand up and punch this dude, but I was like, you know what? I've heard this and there's even discussion in the Philippines about this. So I'll let it slide. But it was just like, son of a bitch. Yeah. It's like Malaysia, well, you're actually Pacific Islander. It's like, I, and it's like, okay, woke, woke McGee here. All right, thanks, thank you. Oh my gosh, you've you've solved my whole worldview. Uh -huh. Thank you so much. What you like, what you were saying before uh, about like belonging to neither? I feel like that's the reason why I like I super identified with crazy rich Asians. I don't know. I feel mm -hmm. like I 
had like such a big sort of like emotional response to that movie, probably because it was set in Singapore and that's where my mom's from. And like going back to mm-hmm. Singapore is always just like really surreal to be like surrounded by people who look like you. Like, holy fuck, like that is crazy. And um, just like the whole like, I guess like Asian American story of being like, oh, you're not actually Asian in Asia yeah. land, but you're also not really like American and like that sort of like dichotomy be like caught in the middle i was just like oh my gosh wow like on a big yeah. screen <laughs> like a like a like a movie in pop culture crazy yeah it was like, i was like ecstatic about it <laughs> like part of the whole feeling like you belong somewhere like i don't really speak the language much anymore except for like key phrases that my mother and i will use but like that's not enough to like get around in a country here i feel very at home in the united states i mean I haven't I've never seen all of the United States so there you know there's different variations but I feel I feel quite at home here this is where I've grown up and then back in the Philippines I feel quite at home there because I've been going there since I was like 4 or 5 mm-hmm. and so like I the the culture and a lot of the things there are very familiar to me I don't understand it all but a lot of it I'm very familiar with and there's some context there I have and it's just this weird thing of like I feel quite at home there I've got most of my family in the Philippines but I'll never be Filipino. Like mm-hmm. I even I qualify for Philippine citizenship and I, I have been looking into getting that, but even then it's like, but I'm still not really it'll never be, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you're foreign born, so you're not really this or really that. Which I which I understand, but it's like fuck, why does being biracial gotta be so damn hard? They just it feels like a very like pure blood privilege sort of view. Uh-huh. Of like, well, you can't be this yeah. because I am that, and I know you're not that. Yeah, and also it's like, y- you know, you go to other countries, and then you you get introduced to their different concepts of race and how things are. Oh, and it's sure. Completely different yeah, from yeah. like the U.S. version of it, like in the Philippines, being like a former Spanish colony, and I guess a lot of other places in Asia have it too. But there's like colorism is a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're like dark skin, like oh, you're quote unquote jungle Asian. Hmm. Or, oh, you, oh, you're Korean. Oh, you're Chinese. You're Northern Chinese. And all these things are like mixed race people are sometimes treated as like this weird sort of like novelty. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow. Very, well, wow. Yo, you're mixed. And I feel it's like that's like still the same here. I feel like, I don't know. I, I was like literally been told my whole life, like, oh, you will make beautiful babies. And it's just yes. like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> I was talking with this girl who was half Korean and she said, you know, when we all get married, it'll be so neat because our kids will have that neat quarter Asian. And I was like, quarter, <laughs> do we have to marry whites? <laughs> and it was like, a slip up there, but it was like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Or like, I've seen like posts online about like, half asian like women are so beautiful and it's like what the fuck, oh, the yeah. fuck is making these Literally goddamn posts want to die every single time i see those it's it's like those dudes with like well you know yellow fever and it's mm-hmm. like bruh gotta get them submissive asian girls bruh and it's like dude have you ever met an asian have you ever met a woman <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like i remember reading this article that said like um yeah in like the west there's a lot of white dudes who want to get that who have that yellow fever but then in Asia, there are a lot of Asian men who want a white bride. And the reason was they think they might, they, like, white women might be more submissive. So there's this weird thing where, like, dudes in different cultures, like, view women of the other, of, like, another ethnicity as, like, ooh, oh, yeah. Gotta get that yellow fever. Gotta get that white stallion. It's like, <laughs> oh, Jesus, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, it's all based on, like, this fetish stuff, uh-huh. which ties into, like, 
these like Asian, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but these dudes who are like against uh, Asian female white male pairings, they're like against like any race mixing and they're like super pro Asian, but to the point where oh. mixed race Asians are like, uh, like not r- like real Asians. They're just like this diluted blood and Asian women who marry white. They're like Asian insults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like really like, that's really weird because I feel like I've only heard of people who are sort of like they are hapas, where like and then like they just sort of like see the fetishized relationship between their parents and then they're really really anti mixed race. And I feel like that's also uh, yeah, really strange. Where like. That is not how my parents are at all, and it is just really weird. No, yeah, I mean, when, I've certainly. Oh, sorry, yeah, like, what I've, I've seen that, and it's like really creepy and gross. But yeah. like, don't don't put your like gross, weird prescriptions on like my life, please. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Just race. We could talk for hours about this shit because you know <laughs> we, we're, we're, we are we are all like biracial, yeah. <laughs> like Southeast Asia. We've all got like something like there. Damn. What a conversation. What a conversation. Oh, we have so many so things nice in to common. Talk with other, I know. It's so nice to talk with other people who are biracial and have like many similar experiences. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, how, how, how are we going to transition? <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Uh, oh. Here. I'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll all go. <laughs> <laughs> I too love new games, so let's talk about them. Um, recently, Ubisoft has announced the next entry in the Ghost Recon series, titled Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I don't know what a breakpoint is, oh, but I, I know do what a know breakpoint is. This... I can oh, tell you about yeah, the breakpoint. The breakpoint. Tell me all about the breakpoint. The breakpoint is uh, it's a reference to when like a like a military squadron has suffered like casualties and stuff, and they're no longer effective. But it can also be uh, it can also be in reference to like a psychological breakpoint. So if oh. you've been through like a lot of trauma or something, and there's a point where you're no longer combat effective, th- that's considered like you've reached your breakpoint. Oh, so like in Hearts okay. of Iron Four, this would be when your squad or when your armies are like <laughs> on the fucking run, okay? Because they've okay. been completely overwhelmed. Man, okay. So like we played Ghost Recon Wildlands. I don't know, mediocre game, right? Yeah, yeah. I like. That's, that's how I wasn't sure it's what to expect game. from this reveal of Ghost Recon Breakpoint. I expected to see like Wildlands Two. Like let's do Wildlands again, but it's slightly different. But Ghost Recon Breakpoint, I think it has some interesting elements. One of them is this idea of. Uh, well, I was going to say injuries, but I think there's a bigger picture here is like from the reveal trailer and the way that the camera moves in this game, I already got this sense of like, it's not as floaty as Wildlands. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if everyone felt this way, but Wildlands, I think you and I, at least our experience was that we felt like we were very OP. Uh, I didn't feel very strategic. It It didn't feel very tactical. It felt like we were playing Saints Row. We were playing, it felt like we we were playing Saints Row third, but in like this fake Bolivia, <laughs> which is its own, it's its own thing. Um, the setting change is interesting because Ghost Recon Wildlands had a lot of controversy for portraying the country of Bolivia as this narco state, which caused the Bolivian government to angrily say, hey, wait a second. Why are you, why are you doing this? This isn't what Bolivia looks like. And Ghost Recon Breakpoint doesn't have a real location it takes place on a fictional island where this like billionaire makes his drones and it's this very gamey location of like we have all these different biomes we have like the ice biome and we have the volcano biome and so it's its own little fictional location so that's that's interesting and i wonder if that was maybe 
just maybe like a lesson learned of like, hey, maybe like don't take a country in South America and portray it as this failed narco state that it actually isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry to go back to the to go back to some of the gameplay. It looks like they talk about how you'll be able to suffer injuries, and they show in a part of the trailer like this guy gets shot. Your teammate has to go kind of uh, revive him, and it's a very it's it's more of a clunky uh process than it is in wildlands where you would go over and tap e like in this trailer they show uh, one squad mate picks up the other squad mate and like carries them into a building uh they're bogged down by the weight and then they've got to like set them down and do some like medical stuff basically what it comes down to is like they're they're adding these these survival elements that i think are really interesting and maybe start to return the series to some of its roots which was in like this was a very tactics focused series right it was a stealth game Mm-hmm. You you didn't get into these firefights like you would in Wildlands that you were just over yeah. the top and trucks exploding, helicopters crashing. It was more you, you of, would you would get into like gunfights, but when they did happen, you know the risk of death was so high, and they were these small firefights that were extremely tense. Whereas yeah, in Wildlands, it's like oh my god, I just blew up a helicopter and then I got a shot to the I got shot in the face, but then my teammate revived me and we killed thirty Bolivians. It's very different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what interests me about, uh, about Breakpoint. So I'm I actually, I'm, I was surprised by this announcement. I like, I expected to have some, some of the like crummy Ubisoft-ness of like, like, I don't expect it to be perfect. I expect it'll probably still be a little floaty, but I, it's an interesting direction that they're taking. I like the idea that you can set up a bivouac to like, uh, to, to treat injuries and stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. something that I've kind of always liked in like i had a marwind mod that let you set up a tent and do camping shit and i know there's like some popular skyrim mods for that so like adding this kind of robust survival element into a game that is mostly known for just being a shooter i think is is interesting um that's yeah that, that was my that, that was really my big takeaway from from the breakpoint trailer and then yeah. there's like there's some i don't know there's some there's some plot stuff that we've seen before it's like i i felt like i was we were maybe doing a retread of black ops 2 where it's like the dangers of technology uh like people taking over drones and stuff or not black ops 2 and advanced warfare i guess also had the same plot yeah a lot of the um futuristic equipment and like the this like neat kind of like spooky look to a lot of the bad guy mercenaries you're fighting with these masks oh yeah the John cybernetic character. Stuff. Yeah, all these things. A lot of that. Some parts of this reminded me of like me- a Metal Gear kind of thing. So I'm kind of excited for it because I loved Metal Gear Solid Five, and this just kind of there's something about it that seems familiar to me. I don't know. I like these kind of over the top villains. With these, yeah, like, there's some elements of camp, technologies. Right? Yeah, and it's like like a wild a Wildlands like, villain. I feel like is way more akin to like a fucking Far Cry villain, which I think is the it's absolute just like, worst. I'm bad cartel dude. Ah. Whereas this is like, oh my god, these people have like cybernetics and like cool futuristic weaponry. It's like, this is so neat. This is a fun thing for a video game. So yeah, I'm 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 kind of I'm excited for Breakpoint. Yeah. Oddly enough, which I did not expect when I heard it was announced. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and then we saw some gameplay of Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Uh, I I like Monster Hunter. I <laughs> I like the idea of going to a tundra locale. We need to get through Monster Hunter World. I don't know why we stopped playing Monster Hunter World. I don't know. I think uh, I don't know. We probably got swept up in something else, as as yeah, you probably. do. 
Um, I guess maybe some of the grind, we decided to take a short break and then just never got back to it. Yeah. Uh, we saw a <laughs> we saw a game that we saw a nature documentary in game form called Away, mm-hmm. and they showed you playing a uh, what is it called a like a uh, like a flying lemur, a flying squirrel, uh, a sugar yeah. glider, whatever that <laughs> animal's called. One of those little fuzzy fellows. Yeah, I think I saw. I I thought like oh, I'd play that on. Like, yeah, I'd play that on my PlayStation. I think it's on PC as well. So that's cool. And then um. The one thing I saw most people talking about on my timeline, though, was the Final Fantasy VII remake. Ah, uh, yes, it was re-revealed after having been revealed earlier, a few years ago. Yeah, and then just kind of disappeared, and now here it is again. Yep, and then they showed a, a little sequence from the very beginning of the game. Uh, it looks like they've redone a lot of stuff. I'm excited. I liked Final Fantasy VII. And then it, it it's like a maybe two-minute video, and then it ends, and it says... See more June. They didn't say what year, but you know, I assume this June. I hope. Well, they give some another backdoor just in case. Yeah. Um. Oh, I also read that this game is getting uh released in episodic form. Oh. Whoa, hmm. that's cool. Interesting. I'd be yeah, interested to see how they do that. It's interesting because the first, uh, well, the original game was was not episodic. It was just here's the game, right? Yeah. Hmm. So I'm wondering if this is more of an artistic decision, or is it more of a we don't have the whole thing ready decision? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really like episodic storytelling. I know I feel like it's really fun in general, just to like have like you know like smaller arcs fully end, and you know there's like some arcs that continue throughout. Um, mm-hmm. I just I don't know. I think it's like a fun sort of vehicle for storytelling. Yeah, I should probably say it. I completely like uh, forgot when we were talking about games we've been playing. But uh, yesterday I went through the new episode of Life is Strange two, and it was really good. And it reminded me kind of like the quality sort of like character interactions you have in the original Life is Strange. So it's interesting to see a game that is episodic and the episodes are released so far apart because like this game I think is supposed to. Like, episodes four and five don't come until, like, fall and winter. So there's a lot of time in between these episodes for them to really work on developing the game and listening to feedback and seeing what works and doesn't work. So, like, I felt like there was, a like, a huge uh, improvement in quality between episode two, which came out, I think, last February or January, and then this new episode. Um, I felt like they maybe looked at a lot of the things in episode two that were a little underdeveloped and then took the opportunity in episode three to kind of throw you into this setting where you're meeting some new characters and some familiar characters and they kind of hand wave this the, like the ending of episode two which i thought was interesting because like at the end of episode two you go off on a train and you leave all your friends and then in episode three all your friends are back so, and it's not really explained i feel like i was just watching videos about away and wasn't actually listening to what you were saying so Oh no, it's okay. I might, I might, I, I might have to get up and shut my window real quick. <laughs> I'll probably cut. And most it is a of sugar glider. Oh, yeah. a sugar glider. Is it there is a, a difference between glider. a sugar glider and a flying squirrel? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> man, who fuck? Man, do I look like a flying marsupial fucking thing? <laughs> um, let me, let me here. Let me just hit the rest of my notes before we. Let me hit that notes. <laughs> 
I there were a couple of articles that I just wanted to mention that I read this week and I thought were very interesting. So this is my new segment, Travis's recommended reading. <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Um, no, but uh, there. So there was a Kotaku piece that was an interview with an anonymous. Um, it was largely an interview with an anonymous cinematics animator on the game Mortal Kombat 11. This piece goes into uh, what some of the developers at NetherRealm have been going through, and this particular animator was having, he talks about having these nightmares about all of this, like, graphic uh, research material that he would go through, because they talk about how in, like, in the office, you'd walk around and you'd see on someone's computer screen, they're just watching, like, YouTube videos of people being hung, uh, because they need reference material to create these animations and this was a like it's a part of of game development that i had never fucking thought about especially when you're in this over the top uh situation of like people are literally like the game is presented in kind of a campy way but it also has this element of realism right i I, like i think Mm -hmm. it's a little bit inconsistent from what i've heard over the course of the mortal kombat games like some are a little more cartoony but like these later entries have been more realistic and like photorealistic so this guy was basically, he said he went to a therapist who diagnosed him with PTSD that they inter, there are, that they attributed to the, all the work that he did on, on Mortal Kombat 11 with, you know, the amount of reference material and stuff that they go through. Um, like, it's, it's something that I, I think, like my, ex, like, my, I guess, like, film experience doing a lot of visual effects work, I do remember times when, like, I'd be referencing material of people getting shot and such. Um, I never referenced anything that involved, like, decapitations or hanging or anything, thankfully. But, I mean, because that just sounds like a horrific thing. But it's also a part of the, like, it sounds like it's a part of the NetherRealm studio culture of, like, you hire on this person and they're immediately put, like, headfirst into this into this culture of, like, all of these developers have been desensitized to this material. And, like, if you can't stand it, then, like you're i don't know like you know, like a weak person you don't belong here you don't deserve to be a part of the studio oh i've gosh. never i've never had too much interest in like ultra violent games um I, I think it really depends on context like definitely yeah like yeah i mean yeah, i'm not a big fan of ultra violence as is like he talks about like how he would look at his dog and he couldn't even like think of his dog correctly. He would just think about like what's inside of his dog. I'm sure just like I don't know cuz like you you would just like have to watch so much violence and like really gory violence. Ugh. Don't want to yeah. think about that. I feel like I already have like very violent dreams after watching <laughs> Game of Thrones like I don't want to like <laughs> Man, I don't know. It just makes me not want to play a Mortal Kombat game, which I, yeah. I haven't yet. And I've always, I've like, I've seen the cinematics and stuff, and thought like, like, like my thought about it has always been like, like, uh, uh, yeah, like, like ultraviolence, like you know, it's it. Th- he ripped a guy's spine out. Like it's not meant to be taken seriously or anything. But then you listen to this guy and and the fact that they have to reference this real world material and it puts it into a completely I, I, different context yeah it's like when you're playing it in a game you know we get in the context of mortal Kombat, people die but they're not really dead so you get this gruesome short thing that's over the top and you go oh whoa, whoa and then you go do another fight but somebody had to spend a lot of time animating and texturing and referencing like you said that like material yeah so for them i like just punching a dude's head off for you is just like oh whoa that's so crazy that that can't really happen that's crazy 
And then for the developer, it's like a lot of work focusing on getting it right in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's just really with like sort of like any visual media. Yeah. So like yeah when yeah. you've like spent so much time being so close, because like that happens in like my illustration work and like do it like working on zines. Mm-hmm. So I'll be just be like, oh, yeah, saw like saw this in like all of the stages that it like required to like put together this like whole illustration and now like i can't really like see what it is supposed to look like even if i put it down for a few days right um and then oh the other story that i read was alt uh alternate no this is a piece about an ar game called ingress which was a predecessor kind of to like the big one now of course is pokemon go uh but nanatic had had a previous uh ar game called ingress which is this very simple sci-fi concept of there's the good or not the good guys there's like the red team and there's the blue team and you would go throughout the world in kind of like a geocaching sort of thing where you would uh take over control points with different people and stuff and so there's communities of ingress players who like coordinate because it's very there's a much more social or required social aspect to ingress than there is pokemon go where you can kind of walk around and collect pokemon in ingress you kind of there's a lot of like online forums for coordinating like attacks on different locations and stuff and this piece uh, is told mostly from the perspective of like this chinese businesswoman who like in her regular work she kind of travels the globe and so she ended up becoming a part of this Ingress community, and people would ask her to, like, as part of her business travels, they'd be like, yeah, can you, like, go to this location since you're there anyway, and do some of this, like, take over some of these points in Ingress? And she'd be like, yeah. And so she got really into um, uh, just kind of that hardcore this Ingress scene, and the piece gets really, <laughs> the piece gets very wild towards the end. It starts talking about, like, uh, how she was going on this business trip and she and her friends or her community were talking about how they needed to take over this point that was like in Anchorage, Alaska. So she like made this trip diversion and went to Anchorage while at the same time coordinating with people back home who like ended up going to this remote island in China to take over one point. And there were like rumors of like a traitor among their ranks or something. And so they were like camped out on this island in the middle of the night, taking over these points when they started to notice the points were being taken back, which led to this strange, like spooky standoff of them with flashlights in the woods, trying to figure out if there were other people nearby. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Jesus. I'm not a gamer compared to these folks. No. Damn. (laughs) Um, that's that's, that's like the wildest part of the piece but even like just to put it in more context there is a part that I really like where the author of this piece is talking about how they were trying out Ingress uh, as part of writing this piece and I guess like they're, they got on the wrong train or something and ended up like just getting on Ingress and taking over certain points and stuff and then they started seeing points taken back and they were like what and they looked around the train and didn't see anyone and so when it came to their stop they, they, they got off uh, they got off on their stop and they stood on the train platform and as the train left on the other side of the tracks they noticed a person with a phone looking at them very sternly <laughs> it's called how an augmented reality game escalated into real world spy warfare uh, and I will I'll link that in the in the show notes so that if people want to they can take a look hell yeah you want to talk about that knife oh! missile you've got in the notes? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Um, this is just an offhanded thing that I that I saw. Okay, so apparently a, a couple times the CIA has killed like high value terrorist targets with something that's basically a, like a 
It's a bomb that is that does not explode, or it's a missile, I should say, that doesn't explode. Instead, it just shoots out massive blades. Uh, and they developed this with the intention of like minimizing unnecessary casualties, I guess. And like, I, I don't know, we have a ridiculous military. Like, uh-huh. it's just absurd, but this, I just thought this was interesting, and, like, I very hesitate to say this, but I almost think it's, like, a cool thing. <laughs> like, I, I say that with, like, a lot of hesitation, but, like, man, it's, like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Like, this is, like, a, it's it's a warhead. It doesn't explode. It just, it's, like, a knife pinata. It just shoots up <laughs> blades. It's called the flying, the flying Jinsu or the flying Jinsu. Um, and I guess it's only been used twice, but the, there was some was information that had this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some photos that are, they don't, you know, they don't show any, they don't show dead people or anything. But the photos are still a little bit disturbing because you just see how the warhead went through the top of this car. Um, and I don't really, it, there's not really a good diagram or anything of how the blades are deployed. But like in my head, they just, I guess there's six blades. And so... It's just like this super obscure sci-fi weapon to me that you would probably see in like an anime or something, only it's actually real and the US military <laughs> has used it a couple times. And they're talking about like deploying it more. It was uh, described as like a speeding anvil from the sky, which gave me very cartoonish imagery. An anvil with blades? <laughs> Jesus. Like... Yeah. Oof. Oof. That's very anime. Yeah, I just know that if one day I'm sitting in the back of a car and a missile drops through the roof, I'll know that a bunch of blades are going to shoot out, and I'll just accept my fate at that yeah. point. That's all I have in my notes. <laughs> well, blades. thank you for joining us this week on Hit Point Pals. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed and tune in next week for a brand new episode. You can find all of our episodes on the web at hitpointpals.com. And you can find us on Twitter with the at HitPointPals handle, what the fuck? <laughs> you can find us on Twitter, at HitPointPals. If you do feel so inclined, drop by iTunes, leave us a review. And if you're enjoying our weekly chats, all we ask is that you help spread the word about our show. Bug your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, your granddad, your grandmaster. All of your and biracial that's all for friends. this week. Yeah, all exactly. Your all of your friends. bug all your ask your friends, hey, are you biracial? It'll go well, trust me. <laughs> that's all for this week. <laughs> this has been the Hit Point Pals. No, the Hit Point Pals, not the Hit Point Pals. This has been Hit Point Pals. In elementary school, I wanted to like, I wanted to pick my clothes myself. My mom used to like, here's what you're going to wear tomorrow. Um, and then I, I would, whatever I would pick, my mother would always say, Sus, my goodness, William, you look like you're from the mountain. <laughs> and it was just, it was this thing from the, it was like,
people from the mountain they dress funny in the philippines <laughs> but there's no analog to that here yeah so i i never understood i was just like oh it's so out oh, there this is, this is how mountain people dress <laughs> and it wasn't until a lot later i found out that this was like a thing in the philippines on how people from the mountains would dress and it was like oh okay i was trying to combine these things into like the united states and where i lived and that doesn't work it's like i uh-huh, i've never what, what do mountain people look like yeah, the hill people and what are the what are the men of the hill the tribesmen of the mountain valleys. What do they wear? Oh my gosh. That's funny. <sighs> Sometimes I wish my mom like taught me more of the language. My mm. mom didn't because she wanted me to be an American. And she, because like she experienced a lot of racism. Um, so she was mm-hmm. like, oh no, I'll just speak English. <laughs> Which no, is great. No, Will, Thanks, I'm, I'm mom. Not... Will, I'm not going to, it'll ruin your accent. And it's like, but if I grew up in an English speaking environment, it won't, but you know, (laughs) whatever. And it's Uh just like, uh, like I I do, because I've gone to the Philippines so many times, but I can't really communicate. I can say a few words and it's like, shit, I really, (laughs) I want to like learn the language there. It's, but you know. Saying I want to and devoting the time are very different very things. Very different things. Yeah, mm-hmm. l- like luckily in Singapore, because that's where most of my mom's family lives now. Like everyone speaks mm-hmm. English there. Because was it a former British? Yeah, a former British oh, colony. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they they also speak like I don't know. It's kind of hard to understand them anyway because they speak like really <laughs> weird, like the Queen's English, but then it's also oh. just like totally different, and it takes like a, a little bit to acclimate. Yeah, to get used to, to get all the like little intonations like, the and weird, go, okay, okay. Yeah, like they just say things funny. And if you're not like paying attention, they'll just be like laughing the whole time because you're just like, haha, you sound so silly. And then they also think that you sound really silly too. Yeah, funny how accents work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize for the longest time that my mom had an accent though, because like I had just heard her talk. I remember yeah, I mean, it was like seventh grade because like my best friend Madeline was like coming over and we just like met in seventh grade and she was like, Rebecca, what is your mom saying? I can't understand her. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what you, I never what even realized this at yeah. all. That's just like, my mom talking. My mom and I will make jokes and uh, sometimes we'll talk in this weird like heightened Filipino accent, namely like oh. <laughs> on when she was first coming to the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, even as a little kid, I remember some of it. And she still sometimes makes mistakes on, like, grammar and stuff. But, I mean, that's fine. She speaks two languages. That's more than I do. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, like, make jokes about that. And it's like, huh, how am I able to do this? Oh, it's because my mom has, like, an accent. She still does. And it's like, I don't really, I mean, it's not super heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is. But it's like, I don't know. Like, you, you just never really noticed that. Because, you know, they're your parent and you grow up with them. So for you, that's like, yes, this is this is home. This is normal. Mm -hmm. Also, another weird racialized experience. We celebrate the Lunar New Year and Mm -hmm. I wanted to celebrate the Lunar New Year when I moved to college. And I didn't realize that other people didn't celebrate a Lunar New Year. And so I was like, oh, we can go make dumplings and, you know, longevity noodles and stuff in the, you know, the dorm kitchen. And people were like, how do you make dumplings? And I was like, what? (laughs) You don't know how to make dumplings? And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I just like thought it was so strange that like all these white people didn't know how to make dumplings. And then I realized that I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm the one that's kind of weird, but whatever. 
I remember um, we, we have photographs somewhere in my house uh, that we got developed a long time ago. It's it's like my birthday. I'm a very little kid. This is like 2002 or maybe like three or somewhere in there. Um, but it's me at the table with like a bunch of white kids who were my friends in school. Um, and then the food they're serving is like pans it. <laughs> like, like, oh my god! Southeast Asian dishes and like maybe Filipino, and it's just like, I, and it's just so funny because all the kids have these looks on their faces of like, oh, what is this? And then there's me who is like, yes, it's my favorite food. <laughs> I remember my oh, mom and no. I will laugh about it about like. I used to take cold lunch to school, yeah. and I used to get like weird looks from other kids, and it, I just felt so bad that I finally switched to hot lunch. Same, that happened and it's to me. Like, as a kid, I didn't quite get it. Like, what? Do you, did, it's just fish with rice. <laughs> it's like I don't get it, you guys. It's fish with like its eyes and stuff still, and it's like I get weird looks, and it's like, I, mom, I want to, I want to do hot lunch. So then that was the end of like hummus and all these things with like fish and these like rice dishes and these sorts of like oh, that's types weird. of like seafoods i never and really like i never really had that experience because i i don't know i think like i never really uh i don't know i i like i, I didn't ha i my mom cooked some filipino dishes but it was never like a like a big thing mm -hmm. and there were certain dishes that i didn't like there were like as i was just oh, a yeah, picky this, eater yeah. but like i liked stuff like like adobo i liked like like leche flan but I, those weren't things that were like packed for me for lunch. I would just have oh, okay. like a sandwich and stuff. So I never really yeah. experienced that. Like it was just like, it was such a weird feeling as a kid to be eating like food that you like at home at school with all your friends, but the food you're eating is very weird to them. <laughs> it's, it's weird because yeah. as a kid, you don't really have the, a lot of these concepts. And uh, I mean, I still like a lot of that food, but you know. It was just this period of time where it's like, oh, geez, I'm very embarrassed about being Asian. I want, I, I want to eat what the other kids are eating. I want to eat what they're eating. Yeah, I really wanted to eat like chips in my lunch. My mom would like make these sort of like bento boxes for me, with just like eggs and noodles. Mom, where the fuck are the chips? Yeah, and I'd be like, Mom, can I have some chips? And she's like, No, Rebecca, those aren't healthy. But let me just like give you this like, you know, like egg omelet that's just drowning in soy sauce. That's fine. <laughs> Okay, Here mom. <laughs> but yeah, I remember. Like, I remember a food that I really liked for packed lunch. I I don't even think I'd eat this now, though. When I would take these like Spanish sardines that we got import from the Philippines, and I would like dump the jar on like a thing of rice. And I'd eat it, and I loved it because it was like it was like a full fish, <laughs> like just jammed <laughs> in a jar in like oils, so it would have its head, its eyes, and everything. And I would just like, and its skin, and I would just like eat most of it with rice. And it was like that's weird. And then you know, looking back on it, it's like I don't know if I should be eating something that's like thirty percent oil, <laughs> but it did it taste tasty. really, really good. Yeah, it was tasty as fuck as a kid. Uh. I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm tempted, like. Could I still eat that now? But then I think, why would I waste my time doing this? Like, but I, I think I'd, I'd like to see if I could still stomach that. But yeah, that's a dish. That's like a meal where it's like, ugh, not a lot of nutrition there. I feel like, especially with like the rise of like bok choy and other sort of like grains that are not sort of European, people sort mm. of like think that like Asian food is really healthy. And I just like think that is so funny. Mm. Yeah, I eat ethnic food. Yeah, yeah, I love ethnic food. It's like, oh, jeez, oh, oh, man. Oh, jeez, oh, man. Damn, I remember Travis, um, 
a lot like way back when we were a lot younger oh i was at your house and your, your mom was like will do you want to eat with us and i said okay and i put soy sauce on my rice and your mom was like see trabis you should put soy sauce on your rice <laughs> and it was always like this like, you should do this yeah and it was just like, is that a thing that like maybe Filipino moms or just Asian moms? I, I that's a huge category, dude. Where it's just like this weird, this constant comparison of kids. Oh yeah, I like, mean, I heard that for a long time too. It's some sort of fucking like, it's like, just like contest. Even even like in college, I would still hear stuff like William is going to school for this. Why aren't you doing this? And I'd be like, what oh, the God. fuck is going on? <laughs> and it's just because the kids themselves could give a shit less. Right. It's just like whatever. But for the parents, it's like. Oh, my son's doing this. Oh, wow. <laughs> my son is also doing this at this school. Hmm. And it's like this constant competition of like, I got to I got to one up that bit. Yeah. I got to one up her. Luckily, my mom like hates everybody. So she's like, <laughs> I have no friends. And so she doesn't gossip with anyone. So I never really got that. But it happened between my brother and I a lot because I was a really picky eater and I didn't like any sort of sauce on my rice whereas my brother did and she'd always be like rebecca see look at your brother he eats curry oh. with his rice and i was just like i'm gonna eat my curry separately from my rice <laughs> but... <laughs> travis, travis is doing this you should do this too you, you, you need to be more like this 